0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.
1: I am Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Close Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. We are also joined by our buddy, Brandon Katz, who you can find analyzing, analytics, Over at Parrot (laughs) Uh, And today we've got a great show for y'all We are diving into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the first film of Marvel's Phase 5 We are talking about The Last of Us, Episode 6 And then I have an interview with O'Shea Jackson Jr. For his new film, Cocaine Bear Maybe you've heard of it Let's start with Ant-Man Who
0: are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want What's that? Time. I can rewrite
2: existence and shatter timelines.
1: It is the him. first, even though I just saw that uh, Tom Hanks is a man called Otto has made a hundred million dollars the it uh it's the first, not you know, the not just the first big Marvel film of the year, the first big blockbuster of the year, first Marvel film of phase five. Cade, I wanna start with you because Thank you God. have sent out quite a few tweets about Ant-Man in general. I shared a bunch of my thoughts last week. Um, So I don't really think I have much more to say, except for when we talk about the plot. But I I would love to hear what you think about this at large.
2: Yeah, it's funny because when I came out of the movie theater, I was like, that wasn't great, but like I had some fun. And then literally between there's like probably a 15 minute ride back to my house. And in that time, my thoughts went from that was decent to, oh, this is terrible this is like a sin against movies. I shouldn't go that far. I'm being hyperbolic, but, (laughs) but it's, uh, there are like fundamental movie things that are just like not in this movie. Like the main characters don't have arcs like, or the ones that they do are like not arcs. It's like just kind of the thing happens at the start and the thing happens at the end, but there's no real middle point to all of that. The arc isn't there. It's just an end point and a starting point. It's bizarre. But um, yeah, I, I think, um, the, the things I am seeing about the movie I feel like are being overblown like Catherine Newton isn't that bad in this movie I think she's fine like some people really think she's like really bad in this movie I'm
3: like it's fine uh, I, I think writing let her down
2: yeah I think so because she's a decent actress I think yeah, she's I like she's Catherine. solid in, in whatever I've seen her in um, and what but I think like the visual effects in this movie are, the, are some of the worst I've seen in Marvel and like I, I know I, I've talked about this before but like it's really bad in this movie. And as we, we talk more, maybe spoilery stuff, I'll, I'll kind of point out what I'm talking about. But uh, there were moments in this movie where I was watching it and was so distracted by what I was seeing that I couldn't focus on the story and the dialogue, which usually and I, I say this on Twitter, a lot of times when Marvel gets called out for these things, it happens when the movie gets to home, you know, like when you have the 4k version that you can freeze frame everything that 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 wasn't the case here i was seeing it live in the theater and i think that that's a big problem
3: yeah i I walked out of this movie being like yeah it's fine i didn't didn't get enough time with it it's not nearly as bad as the general conversation is making out to be uh certainly not nearly as bad as having the tide for the worst Uh, rotten tomato score in mcu history and only the second movie to be rotten i'm I'm sorry iron man 2 in in the dark dark (laughs) they're they're unwatchable Uh, i think what really carried this for me is the humor which i think is really really consistently good throughout which has not been the case particularly recently and i think what i i particularly like too is that this movie cemented for me that Actual comedians like Paul Rudd are so much more organically funny and easier to land jokes with than someone who's a more traditional actor like a Benedict Cumberbatch or like a Chris Evans where you really do have to manufacture it or you really have to create jokes around them or make them the butt of jokes and that's not always as easy to seamlessly fit into a script. So I, I really thought it, it was quite funny. One of the funniest. And I think Jonathan Majors is great in it. But yeah, there are long stretches of messiness in this movie that are nonsensical. I, I think the best argument I can make for Paul Rudd's uh, for Scott Lang's arc is that he has to learn to trust Cassie to, to be an adult who's capable. But I mean, that is just it's so, so utterly. Yeah. Yeah. Loose in background. I agree with that. I think I said this in a tweet, too. I think the first 25 minutes are are super fun and delightful. The next hour is very hit or miss. Then I really like the last 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, I'm fine with it. And I think Eric made a good point that it's an odd fit dynamic wise for the world ending multiverse ending stakes of Kang trying to be kind of fit through the lens of the small stakes, happy go lucky Ant-Man vibe that's usually very self-contained. And that makes it such an awkward dynamic throughout, you know, Mm -hmm. those two never mesh. And I think one problem we also have in a lot of blockbusters lately is it never really feels like anyone's in the same room together. It feels like everyone is surrounded by tennis balls and that conversations that are meant to be menacing and important to the plot are happening on a soundstage in Atlanta and a soundstage in LA. And I don't necessarily chalk that up to CGI, though it's obviously wonky here. I think it's just a staging blocking issue that that Marvel really needs to figure out. There's no really intimate sense of uh, uh, dialogue here. And Ant-Man, what really works about him in his own films is the sense of scale. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, he's super small compared to a car. He's super big compared to an airplane. And in the quantum realm in which everything is alien, that scale is completely loses all meaning. And so it's a lot less effective, his, his visual power. So that's my uh, 30,000 foot view.
1: So let me just start by saying that Spoiler warning for Ant-Man, all right? From this point forward, we are going to talk plot. And I think that what B just said kind of puts a perfect ball on it because I think Marvel, I think the problems with this film are not Ant-Man problems, but Marvel problems at yep. large and our 30,000 foot view problems in the sense that you know, we said this even before we had seen the film how it was being sold as a Kang film, mm-hmm. right? What about this movie makes it an Ant-Man film other than the fact that his powers are what for are what allow them to access the quantum realm and not even really. It's his daughter who's like doing scientific. Right.
3: Any other hero could have been in the quantum realm to deal with with them. I, I obviously hope uh, Janet Van Dyne with her intimate knowledge and and existing history. Yeah, clearly that lays the groundwork. But essentially you could have everyone go in and discover this for the first time without changing the dynamic of the film. Right. So that's point
1: one. It's core conceit is not Ant-Man centric. Mm-hmm. And you get to Cade's point, whereas there's no Ant-Man arc. So not only is the movie not really an Ant-Man story, but the character is not really given his due, right? And then you have the CGI problem of well, this looks like shit, which I have always been more forgiving of than most because, like... To be fair here, I think
3: Modoc purposely looks like shit. I think that's intentional. Yeah, he's a, a weird-looking guy,
2: right? And and I, I don't know about how your guys' theater was, but when his mask comes up for the first time, the guy next to me did a spit take. Oh, <laughs> That's the first time I've ever seen that happen in real life. And I was like, wow. And everyone was laughing at how, how he looked. And I, I think... It's intentional. It is. I think it is. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt
1: there. But I think that the problem is, and I had spoke on this a bit, and I think that they're trying to course correct a bit. Cade, you would put out a tweet like this, like how many L's are they going to eat back to back to back? And then lo and behold, they announced that the Marvels have been delayed from July to November. I just think simply Marvel has lost their way. I think that it has become too production... um, what's the way that they would build cars? And it was like, whoa, assembly we could... line. yes, it's become two assembly line S wherein That's the goal. Now they aren't worrying about let's make the best car we can. They're worrying about let's fucking churn these bad boys out, sell as many puppies as we can to as many fucking people. And I think that that's how you have an Ant-Man film. That's not an Ant-Man film. You have a main character that has no arc and you have CGI. That looks like shit because they're doing all three of these things at once. And that is denigrating the brand to such an extent. Now we're at a point where new MCU film comes out, you're probably assuming it's going to be shit. And they have to prove to you that it's going to be good. And that is such a denigration of where they were. And to Kate's tweet, like, how do they fix that? Like, I I am confident that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to bang. But if you look past that, they've got the Marvels.
3: Just quickly, I do want to say, though, in terms of enjoyment, when and again, that's carried largely by the organic humor, and when I'm not necessarily breaking down arcs and plot structure, which is messy as all hell, I enjoyed this more than Doctor Strange 2, more than Black Widow, and more than Thor and Love and Thunder. I had more fun in the theater than I, in Ant-Man to, uh, 3 or whatever we're on now, <laughs> than, than those movies right there and I you know I, I really really loved the humor I I really think it it's cares. a very but
2: funny movie and, and I and think I, they yeah. do a
3: good job too of of having Janet and Hank uh you know both having meaningful contributing uh uh parts in this and I think that's really cool to have such iconic actors actually do something as opposed to just kind of stand there and like validate silly comic bookness just because they have a history of being stars back in the day so I, I think they they utilize it well Having said all that, the fact that they didn't bring Luis and one other regular down with them to to completely supplant the absolutely inane and needless rebellion storyline in which no, no characters matter. I don't care about any of them. And it's absolute diversion from all of the momentum and funness of this movie is just crazy to me.
2: I agree.
1: So my point was going to be like, so Kate asked in a tweet, like, how do they fix this? I don't know how they fix it right now i think that they're gonna try to do their best in terms of spacing them out and maybe get the easy wins like having top quality cgi should be an easy win right you should you shouldn't have to be struggling with it to the extent that they are you see
3: that report today that they they drew uh visual effects you know uh, workers off of ant-man to work on wakanda forever Yeah.
1: yeah So if you look what they've got coming out post Guardians 3, which I think that we could all bookmark as a film that we have faith in. And if that's not good, they got to burn the whole thing down at that point. Seriously. After that, we're talking Secret Invasion, Loki Season 2, The Marvels, What If Season 2, Echo, Ironheart, X-Men 97, that is animated, Agatha, Coven of Chaos, Daredevil, Born Again, captain america new world order thunderbolts blade which who the fuck knows deadpool 3 so i'd argue marvel's not having a blue chip until deadpool 3 okay i i don't think i don't know
2: do you think they'll they'll have spider-man before that because that's not part of marvel that's sony's thing right so they never include it in the marvel slate and it sounds like they've said we're writing it like we have a story sorry Okay, B, which
1: of those has you gassed up of the films? The Marvels, uh, the Thunderbolts,
3: films, and Cap 4?
1: You're like gassed up about I'm really like, gassed
3: up Cap about 4. Loki season two. That's the okay, one I'm most excited
1: Granted, for. but that's because we bet on its quality, not because of its overall implications for the MCU. So I'm just saying like...
3: Yeah, but I'm just taking this on a quality basis. You know? <laughs> like, no. did I like that project but in the, the MCU? But, yes, but the point no. of
1: the MCU is that they were once accomplishing both at the same time. And now
3: they're not. I, I think that obviously the floor of quality has become far more inconsistent but I am still not going to say like they are incapable of telling an overarching story. That's pretty decent. You know, when I, I still liked a lot of a phase four and when we still have a lot to go in terms of both course correction and a lot of things that are being retroactively fitted into their overarching plan. Like again, the marvels being delayed is a good sign. They clearly want to take their time. And frankly, the fact that they have Nia DeCosta directing, like I'm I'm actually not worried about that movie. I really think Nia DeCosta who did Little Woods, which is a really impressive, modernized neo-western that's very character driven. And then did Candyman, which is a super super cool take that bridges past and present and, and drumming up genre elements like horror. I, I really like this as a young filmmaker. And I think she's going to knock it out of the park. I they don't just, even care
2: about the first Captain Marvel
3: movie. Yeah, so. I, don't, I don't like the first Captain Marvel either, but I, I, you know, I think the talent involved here is pretty cool.
1: And then one more general thought that I have Kate touched on a bit in terms of Catherine Newton, but this young Avenger thing that they seem to be shoehorning into multiple projects at this point, we've got whatever her character's
2: name is supposed to be. What's her
1: like, superhero name? But what's uh, her
3: superhero
1: Does no she plan. even have one yet? She, I,
3: don't, I think she I, does have one.
2: And the comics, I think she does, but I don't think they gave her one in the movie. I'll I'll look.
1: But I just I don't understand what the sort of purpose of these characters are, other than Haley Steinfeld's guy, huh? Stinger. What's Stinger?
2: Oh, that's her name. I think so. No. Never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> yeah. They so so they haven't indicated uh,
1: you know, that there's gonna be a young Avengers film or show. But just given how people are like ripping this actress to shreds, who I'm sure is okay, but I think her character in this is fucking terrible. I just don't get why they feel the need to character. because of
3: Nathaniel themselves. Richards. That's why they want a young a young Avenger. So they can yeah. have a young Kang be like, Hey, mm. me, stop it.
2: Right. <laughs> True. True. Uh yeah, she she has a few names in the comics. One of them is Stinger, one of them is Stature, Ant Girl, and Giant Girl. So Take your pick. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. So we touched on the CGI next big talking point of Ant-Man thus far, and that has been Jonathan Majors as... Kang Conqueror, I think largely his performance has been the highlight of the film. I don't think anybody is necessarily surprised by that. What did y'all think of Major's performance, the character both in the future of the MCU and in this film? In a general, uh, I, this isn't really a complaint about the character or the performance, but more so the script itself. Like I'm meant to believe that he gets overtaken by a swarm of ants, which fine. Yeah. I actually enjoyed a bit. But then all of the characters seem to think, okay, Bomb solved. gang yeah. has gone. And then they're just like, and then he like, oh, he pops back up in the last yeah, minute. And he's like struggling sense. to shoot the ones with Ant-Man. It's just so inconsistent and um, born out of taking script shortcuts and not doing justice by like what the character should be doing and how he should act. So I think that Major's like, you look at the little ticks that he adds, like how slowly he talks or his cadence mm-hmm. or all that stuff. That's from him. He's very theatrical. Right. But if you look at the Marvel construction of this character, you'd probably be like, this guy's kind of a fucking dumbass, really. So, like, you know, it's... I think it's an impressive debut for Thanos for what's meant to be the next Thanos, but the fact that they allow Ant-Man and the fucking Wasp to get the best of him, quote-unquote, him, I just think undercuts his threateningness entirely, which is then something that is only amplified by the post-credit scene.
2: He... The, there's a line that Ant-Man says it's in the trailer where he says, I don't have to win. We just both have to lose. And you're like, that that's hard. That's fucking sick bars. And then Ant-Man wins.
3: <laughs> and then it's
2: like, all right. It's like, what the hell was the point of that? Like, that's so a I've sick heard line, that they but...
1: recently reshot the ending as recently as like, this calendar year, yeah. And like that January. the original script had them trapped in the quantum realm, which would have been such a natural, easy conclusion, especially yes. with given that they have access to quantum realm tech, so somebody could have gotten them at some point. To just end it on that dramatic high point instead of, and I think that this is a bit of a hot take. I actually kind of liked the uneasy whimsicalness of the ending and how it paralleled the start. But something just doesn't quite feel right. Something about his world feels off. There's a sort of uncanny valley to his actual reality now. I liked that in a vacuum Mm -hmm. in the context of they could have just gotten the dramatic effect of leaving him there and not having to bring him back out and be like, huh, something feels right. So something could have felt wrong by virtue of, oh, fuck, I'm stuck at the quantum realm. Yeah, (laughs) they didn't have to. And now like, oh, like, like, do we have to go deeper to find Kang? Is Kang going to pop back out? So it's just, yeah, it just feels like a macro problem that unless Feige goes like the Aaron Rodgers route and fucking takes a bunch of psychedelics and locks himself in a dark room and has a complete like overhaul of thinking. I don't know how they get out of this funk unless they have a creative overhaul, whether that be yeah. at a script director level or a Kevin Feige executive level. Because right now you take their last two years starting with Black Widow, and I'd say they're hitting at less than a 50% clip.
2: Yeah, it's the, the other thing I, I wanted to say about the ending is just like they they have a lot of options at the end, right? They could kill Ant-Man, which I don't think they were going to do, and that's okay, that's fine. They don't have to do that. But they could have killed him. They could have killed Wasp they could have trapped them in the quantum realm, or if they want to have them transition out of the quantum realm, then I feel like they could have taken it a little step further where they don't undercut it with a joke. They don't have to maybe end it on like a super sinister note, kind of like Loki does where you're like, Oh, definitively, this is fucked, but just maybe have him reckon with it a bit more. But even if they trapped them in the quantum realm, think about the through line of the movie with Ant-Man and Cassie. He wants to protect her. he, he goes through the quantum realm to find her. Imagine they get separated there. He's trapped in the quantum realm. She is out there. He assumes she is back home, but he doesn't know what this whole timeline shit is. For all he knows, he sent her to hell, you know, and that is a scary thought and they just don't do anything with it. And it, it robs the movie of stakes. And I think defeats the idea of having a, a cool villain like Kang who's meant to stick around and has all these should have these consequences on the heroes and
3: they just don't. He's just kind of like, gone, bye, see you later. Love Major's irregular rhythm as both He Who Remains and this king. I think it brings this really unsettlingness to the character, and I think it's great. Uh, I disagree with a, a lot of what you guys are saying. I do agree that whether, regardless of the fact that we know other Kangs are more powerful, that there is an army of Kangs, that this is not the only Kang, regardless of that very, very real fact, Yes, when your first direct introduction, direct introduction, in terms of conflict with our Avengers, and your plot fails, you lose, that's a hard sell. It's a hard buy-in for me to consider this person the next uh, saga villain. You know, that's that's a little tough. I agree on that. What I disagree with is, listen, could this have ended with a little bit more stakes? Sure, but... Scott was already trapped in the quantum I've thought realm about this too. Yeah. at the end of Ant-Man 2, and that became an entire catalyst for the Infinity uh, uh, Saga conclusion. If they went and trapped him again, regardless of how well they did it, you know there's going to be a huge contingence of fans being like, they're just repeating ideas and recycling, and now they have to go back and get him, and we've already seen this. And like, I understand where you guys are coming from. I don't think necessarily that's where I land. Maybe sure. figure out something else. And my second point is, I gotta say, maybe the most relatable moment in the entire MCU ever is Scott Lang being like, I am just gonna push down this absolute ignorance is bliss, uh, fear, and disassociate from the the potential threat that is hanging over everything and just act like everything's fine. I'm sorry, that is the most relatable thing, a hero who's not one of the kind of marquee-like regal aliens and or the purest human being ever in in captain america for just the most regular guy i I loved that i thought that was one hilarious and two like wow that's really grounding in terms of just a guy who's got silly powers in this grand universe so i actually think the that part of the ending really plays now i get what you guys mean but my take is that they did the best they could with what was a really compromising position to be put in. That doesn't mean they couldn't have executed better. Doesn't mean that they shouldn't have made tweaks. They should. I I just don't see how you strand everybody once again. I I think there's a way where maybe everybody escapes. And, you know, Kang's like, listen, I'll be back, motherfuckers. And he comes back with a goddamn army of Kangs, which that I'm really psyched about. And I know we're going to get there, but man, that post-credit scene proves how much fun Jonathan Matrix is having.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all right. So let's talk about the post-credit scenes. We get two. One of them is what seems to be a scene ripped straight from Loki season two. Owen Wilson's Mobius and Tom Hiddleston's Loki are in what I think is like the nineteen, like the early nineteen hundreds esque. It sort of like basically looks like a siege from the Prestige. Like that's sort of yeah, the sure. vibe that they're going for. And this I really enjoyed because the TVA is sort of the best vehicle in which to explore the multiverse because they're able to imbue me with more fear of Kang just from the acting power of Owen Wilson and Hiddleston being like, oh shit, that's him, that's him. Mm -hmm. More so than basically the entire Ant-Man film did. So I just think that that speaks to sort of the tone and the themes and the vibe that they've cultivated with that show. And, And I can't wait for that. The other one I think is criminal. I think it is the epitome and personification of the sort of multiverse stakelessness that we've talked about on the show for a while. I think that while we knew the Council of Kangs was coming to compound that reveal with what appeared to be the death of the original Kang that we were just introduced to, combined with the Loki scene, it makes me wonder how I'm supposed to care about any of these characters when, when they appear in any medium at all. If I know that the eventual endgame is he's going to lose. And, but, oh, don't worry, there's 10,000 more Kangs that they're going to have to deal with at some point in some place. So I just, and I understand that that's the nature of the character, right? But I feel like, given that this is supposed to be the start of a new phase, and they've already showed us Kang in Loki, and they've already showed us him here, did they need to play the Council of Kang's card right now? Like, I just don't understand why this franchise seems compelled to undercut them, dramatically undercut themselves at every turn that they get.
2: Yeah. uh... I, I mean, we've had post credit scenes for things that don't relate to the movies they are attached to. This could have been tagged on at the end of Guardians three, and I think it would have probably felt more in not out of place or in place, but like just like it wouldn't have felt like I just saw this guy die, right? And here he is again. It's like that's annoying because the way I mentioned on Twitter is like one of the problems I had with Endgame, which is a movie I generally enjoy, but like one of the problems I have is they kill Thanos at the beginning, which is cool, but he is then replaced by a different thanos who has not suffered the way this thanos has like the whole point of infinity war is like i have this great weight he's kind of like dave batista's character knock at the cabin where he's just like i have to do this terrible thing and i have sacrificed so much and i am filled with all this terrible feelings and then in, in, in end game he's just like ah they killed future me the fuck's up with that huh. <laughs> and he's like i gotta go fucking put these guys in
3: line and, yeah. and
2: that's not interesting and so i don't want it to turn into that for a whole uh saga i don't think that's interesting that's a good point
3: i i think there's a difference obviously between showing and telling and yes that yeah. end credit scene is more telling than showing but i actually disagree a bit with what you're saying that it doesn't establish stakes because every kang there actually represents a realm conquered, a successful universal genocide that this man brought about. And again, they're telling us, not showing us, so it's not as impactful, but the information conveyed to audiences still is significant. And I actually think still props Kang up as this very, uh, you know, multiversal badass. And you said he who remains is Kang, but, he, but he's not. That was more or less a good-natured, well-intentioned version of this character trying to keep these horrible people at bay. And so when we do see all of these Kangs, it's a bit different than Thanos. Because when we saw Thanos and and we witnessed that journey, he's striving to win. These Kangs being at this council of Kang, they've already won. And again, I know I'm beating a dead horse. That's telling, not showing. But still, it does establish to a certain degree that, okay, this is a unique threat different than the big bad that came before that has already dominated across so many different uh, versions and dimensions. And I think it's cool that different, there, w- there will be different versions of Kang the Conqueror within there, like Rama Tut, Immortus. Uh, I think the Centurion or something is, is the other one. And so I think that's going to be a nice little different flavor each time. Having said all of that, I mean, we could bring this back to X-Men days of future past where they kill everybody in the opening scene and then reset it because they could reset the timeline. None of these movies really have stakes. There's always a deus ex machina that you know, uh, Eric and I learned how to pronounce properly on this show. And we always know the good guys are going to win. So it- it's a tough balancing act to get through all of that because fan expectations for Hollywood blockbusters, we-, we know where every single one is heading before they've even rolled the camera.
1: The one last thing on this post credit scene, where does it leave you in terms of your excitement as we head into Phase 5. Phase 4 was obviously hit and miss for lots of fans. This was meant to be a beginning of a new phase. Also kind of feels like the beginning of a new saga, even though not really... Phase 4 felt very contained, right? It felt like it was both dealing with the remnants of what came before while trying to establish something new. Once we're past Guardians 3, it's basically like all new shit. So, And I'm not feeling great, particularly because (laughs) of a tweet that I saw that was... Theorizing what the potential Avengers roster could be for Kang. I saw that, yeah. And it is not the 1927 Yankees by any stretch. (laughs) We've got Shang-Chi, Spider-Man, Shuri's Black Panther, Ant-Man, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, Captain America, Sam Wilson, Moon Knight, potentially Thor, potentially War Machine, the Hawkeyes, and maybe Deadpool like Doctor Strange, I mean, does that excite you? Do you feel excited about what's to come for these heroes in this epic battle? Like, I just don't, and that's coming from and a for franchise. anyone who doesn't know,
3: because- You don't, Eric is rubbing his head like a madman right now. <laughs> like, I just I just don't know, guys, I just don't know. He's gonna start putting the- be excited.
1: And I'm trying to make the point <laughs> that, like, you know, it's not like Iron Man and Cap were fucking Spider-Man and the X-Men. These weren't A-listers at the time. But they became that way. But now it's like, am I excited to see Moon Knight interact with She-Hulk? Like, what the fuck are we doing here?
2: Like, I like all of these actors uh, on their own. But like, I think the problem is, uh, at least me and Eric have been kind of unimpressed with their debuts. And I don't think the characters are bad. It's just like, they have not shown me that they have handled these characters in a way that excites me to see them. All team up together, like when you watch Iron Man one and you see that post credit scene at the end with Samuel Jackson. Like I'm assembling a team. You're like, oh fuck! And then at the end of Incredible Hulk, even though that movie's a little less exciting, it's like, yeah, I could, I could see that. And then you see Thor and Captain America. And you're like, okay, this is gonna be cool to see all these guys come together. I watched all, all this stuff. I'm just like yeah, I'll be there. But like, am I like drumming up hype for it? And I'm not counting down the days. I'm excited to see the overall story, but not these people in the same room planning it out together. I can't picture the dynamic that was like between Captain America and Iron Man and Hulk kind of like planning, like we need to figure out how we're going to stop Thanos. You know, that scene when Iron Man comes back from space and like confronts Steve and is like, you said you'd be there win or lose. And you weren't. And I can't picture anything like that with any of these people together. And that's, that's not exciting to me.
3: Related to that. I think one slight issue, which is being attempted to ameliorate is that infinity saga is 11 years, 2008 to 2019. The multiverse saga is going to be five years or yeah, I I think uh, five to six years uh, depending on like, what exactly happens in secret wars. So sure. you know, you're even, at, even if that gets stretched out a little bit, you're talking about a lot less time to sure. invest and buy-in. And that's gonna naturally make this next lineup feel a little bit rushed. I will say completely unrelated now, I am not excited for more movies following Magic McGuffins. Like if you look at the <laughs> no seriously if you look at the early um if you look at Iron Man Captain America 1 and uh, Thor 1. While there are some Guffins in there, they're more or less about the character arcs and these guys learning really, really significant lessons. Mm -hmm. Uh, That hasn't been the case for a long time. Every single movie is about finding something or getting to something or using something to get out of your situation. I'm done with that. Okay, let's let's focus back on the characters and less on the plot mechanics that need to push the story forward. And two... You know the future lineup, Eric. What is it? It's Guardians three. It's Marvel. No,
1: I mean I don't know. Uh, like the the, the, the lineup of films. Movies, yeah, oh. yes. Guardians three, Marvels, Cap four. Uh, you got Deadpool in there. Okay, Thunderbolts. So,
3: oh yeah, a couple a couple that give me some some hope too. I'm I'm super excited again to just get back to like self contained earth stories like when? i like go- i like going to a couple of those that you just mentioned I, I like app, I, guess. Levels, I like going to the quantum realm i, I like of course the, the cosmic side but at this point i think i'm good with the otherworldliness for a little bit yeah. I, I i'm down to reground these stories in maybe you know new york's in trouble or the east coast of like the east eastern hemispheres in trouble but that's kind of what i touched
1: on last week how do they do that have it in a post end game world Well, I
3: think they did it with Shang-Chi. You know, it was Earthbound. It it was (laughs) mystical. (laughs) They they, they they were fighting a dragon in the third act. (laughs) I understand (laughs) that, but they're still like on Earth. You know, it's not like, hey, I listen, the dragon is is definitely silly, but you're talking about like the fate of like this village, really, in in (laughs) Shang-Chi. You know, so I I think I'm good with going to these far-off crazy lands and you can. Pull back on that a bit, and then hit us with it when it really has maximum impact in future yeah. things. Like I, I think Blade is going to be a very good expansion back into something a bit more fantastical. If we could just be a little a little more standard, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah. It would help uh reset expectations.
2: Do you think we'll see another Ant Man like movie? Do you think this will probably no. show up in like? avengers and then die oh or yeah whatever.
1: I, I i think he'll show up but like an ant-man four, four i mean yeah. thor
2: barely limped through his fourth film yeah. so like
3: but i will say commercially still made more uh internationally and domestically sans china and russia
1: yeah True. pretty big okay all right let's take a quick break when we come back the last of us episode six
3: All right, The Last
1: of Us, episode six, titled Kin. This is a proper Joel and Ellie episode. Three months after the deaths of Henry and Sam, Joel and Ellie reach a small, thriving community in Jackson, Wyoming, where Joel is reunited with Tommy, whose wife Maria is pregnant. So similar to Ant-Man, the time dilation in this world kind of blows my mind. They're, They're able to... Get places in inconsistent amounts of time, but that's kind of well, it a. It took
3: them three months to go cross country on. Like, fuck, that makes sense.
1: No, I know, but I'm saying like that comes after it showed them 10 miles west of Boston, but they were in like, you know, the Great Pine Alps or where the fuck they were.
3: <laughs> like it just none of this world. I, that feels more like a geography problem than a yeah. time problem. Yeah.
1: So yeah, they make their way up to Jackson, which is the most sort of thriving community we've seen in this world so far they mean they have completely abandoned the cold opens which we love so much but this yeah. did start with i guess a flashback of last week and watching henry and sam die so how would you guys feel about this start i
2: this this episode uh takes its time getting to, to where it needs to go which is fine i think it's it's fun to see uh ellie and joel like holding up some old people and just being like hey where the fucking go and they're just like you guys are so out of your depth <laughs> and i think that's fun to see that dynamic and uh just how easily like if you think about it, joel has said I- i've done this before like i've lived this life of like holding people up killing people all these things and so he's he has like a routine probably where he goes into this house he knows what to do and then he has this kid with him who's just like, can I come out now? <laughs> and completely throws the whole thing off the rails. And I, I think that's that's cute to see that his his mindset for these kinds of situations has been thrown off.
3: I agree, Eric. Uh, it's, t- it's a bummer that they got rid of the cold opens. I thought that would be a really, really effective uh, critical lens from which to view each episode and mark some significant moment in society to kind of say something about, hey, what does the end of the world really mean in terms of the the philosophy behind it? So I'm bummed they did that, but I am glad we got to see a little bit again of Henry and Sam. And I I noted here in our outline, it really seems and reinforces to me that Bill and Frank back in episode three were the best case scenario for for humans and their hearts in this world. And Henry and Sam was the worst case scenario. So now we have a very strong, intimate understanding of the spectrum of which Joel is trying to navigate. And so I, I think... This episode really puts the character dynamics and relationships at the forefront after establishing, hey, this is what he wants, what he's trying to avoid, and everything in between.
1: The case point about this one taking a bit to get where it's going. I think it's certainly the most slot momentum inert that we've seen, but I think that that is on purpose and that's a total choice. This is, uh, if you don't care about Ellie and Jolie's... (laughs) Joey. (laughs) Ellie and Joel's Jolene, uh... Ellie and Joel's relationship now or yet you're going to now. And because they do that, you know, so not only does Joel really open up, tell her about his dreams, about his past, about, you know, basically who he is on the inside. Not only does he teach her how to do things in classic, like so cute father, cub daughter, cub vibes. Not only does she find out about his daughter, which is a huge sort of crux in her understanding of him, not only does she like, like have that blowout speech wherein, you know, everybody's left me or, di- and it is ignorant as fuck of Joel to be like, you don't know loss. Yeah. Oh, this girl's entire existence yeah. is in a post apocalyptic hellscape. I'm pretty sure she knows what loss is. She, so she not literally only does doesn't it,
3: know anything. an ounce of normalcy. And he's got the gall to be like, you know, my life's harder than yours. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then not only so, sort of all that, but then it ends with like, Joel in legitimate peril and her being the only one to help him. So I think that they did a lot of legwork that mattered this week. And is going to matter down the stretch as things get hairy as fuck. Ellie learns about Sarah's fate from Maria while Joel confides in Tommy about Ellie's immunity and his own declining mental and physical state. So he asks Tommy to take Ellie to the fireflies as he is afraid he cannot keep her safe. Ellie overhears them and confronts Joel who insists they should part ways in the morning. Joel changes his mind after remembering his daughter and the two of them travel to Colorado on horseback. Yeah. Uh,
2: it's it's so in the game, uh, the way all this plays out is uh, Joel and Ellie stumble upon a dam, the dam that you see very briefly in this episode. And, uh, they have to help Tommy. They stumble upon Tommy. Who's there. They didn't know that he was going to be there. Like, Oh shit. And they have this conversation, the kind of similar one that they have in that shoe store or whatever. And, uh, they have to help, you know, do gameplay stuff to get this dam up and running. You never really see Jackson in its entirety until the second game. Um, but uh, I'm glad they kind of just took that out. And we're just like, we're just going to show you Jackson. We're just going to show you that this way of life is working for these people. And that Tommy has moved on. He has healed. He has a life. And Joel is still hanging on. I mean, this is a guy who literally can't move on. He has his daughter like on his wrist, basically, with that watch, that broken watch. Just He cannot separate himself from that. And he is someone who is still deeply 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 connected to that trauma to that past and refuses to let go so to the point where you like you said he's ignorant to other people like have suffered just as much as he has tommy was there he still loved uh sarah but he's just like fuck you what do you know he's like dude i was there with you i watched it happen and and he's doubting ellie's trauma and stuff so it's it's interesting to see this Guy kind of start to have this implosion with these panic attacks and uh, talking it through and breaking down in front of Tommy. Um, it's very uh, emotional and I think plants some interesting seeds for some things that will happen with Joel in the coming episodes.
3: I like what you said, Kate, and I think it brings me back to something I actually tweeted on the surface, The Last of Us is a blockbuster genre action show that takes place in a post-apocalyptic world. And we have been conditioned by Hollywood to assume any leading protagonist in such a situation is usually going to be the smartest, toughest, best fighter, you know, most accomplished, and pretty much be a guaranteed dub. In every scenario and I just love that they are totally reversing that idea of a traditional hero because he's deteriorating physically he's having panic attacks so he, he can't even do the things that allowed him to survive in this world consistently to the point where of course he's afraid of getting hurt of losing Ellie and that's why he's kind of making up this excuse of like I can't keep her safe but also we don't really know if he can keep her safe at this mm-hmm. point in his life. So I, I think the weakness and invulnerability that they are instilling him in, in him is really, really effective at twisting what we think we know about the world. And then just to zoom out a little bit and just talk about Jackson for a second, to see Tommy, a thoroughbred Texan, realize for the first time that he's a full-blown communist yeah. is so damn funny and i think i said this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking one reason west world never became game of thrones is because there was just no levity it was just dourness on a relentless pace and the last of us whether it's through the very organic dynamic of ellie and joel or moments like this continues to hit us with such pinpoint accurate humor mixed in with the depressingness of this world and the action and fear and horror of this world that it's just such a perfect blend because you just see the thought hit him after his wife sets him straight. He's just like, holy shit, I'm a communist.
1: (laughs) And that's like a similar source of comedy where Joel is talking about what he did before the world went down. And she's like, oh, that sounds cool. And he was like, it was cool. People love contractors (laughs) and just like using sort of the, I guess, the perception of of the world that you once knew as a source of humor. One thing I am a bit confused about, are we to understand that Tommy and Joel have been in some sort of connection or communication for all these years?
2: Well, yes. So so they they traveled together from Texas to Boston and we're in a group in Boston for, it's an uh, unspecified amount of time. And then the Fireflies recruited Tommy against Joel's wishes and they went wherever they went. And he's been talking to him over the radio ever since.
1: And they put in like a fugazi line about it. She's like, we don't advertise what we have. We stay off the radio. But Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to believe at no point Tommy wouldn't tell Joel. It's like, yeah, we got running water here, dude. We've got a movie theater. Like, how is Joel just now finding out about this glorious town
2: yeah yeah it is it does seem kind of like if you'd want your brother to have a new life and heal wouldn't you be like hey buddy we got run it we got showers
3: <laughs> we're gonna what show if he we're gonna show
2: and kane this week you should come by even
3: yeah. if he wanted that clean break and even if he was trying to heal and even if he didn't think his brother was on that trajectory and he didn't necessarily want him at jackson which when they show up he clearly does he clearly yeah. does. It's insane to me that he just goes cold turkey, radio silent. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I'm just going to let my brother think I'm daddy No matter what they did on the road, and no matter how guilty Tommy feels, like that to me is cruel and, I, ins- and and insane for how much they do love each other.
2: the The only thing I can assume is they don't have a radio. That is the only assumption I can make, which I don't think is the they case. They got but a radio. They have to have if they one. Have right?
3: Movies. If they <laughs> they have got a
2: radio. I don't. I don't think it's a lack of possibilities i think it's more like we keep off the radio so we don't have a radio. i mean he, but yeah, he I said there's
3: strict rules and like yeah even if like yeah you, you got a new wife a, a new baby mom and like you want to make her happy i don't care if it's the apocalypse i'm like listen
2: i My love brother. you to death and i'm yeah. gonna
3: protect you but I, i'm telling him that i'm alive
2: yeah definitely I'll,
3: I'll, I'll break up with him over the phone you know <laughs>
1: Uh, They find all right. So Joel changes his mind after remembering his daughter and the two of them travel to Colorado on horseback. They find the Fireflies have vacated their base, possibly relocating to a hospital in Utah. Joel and Ellie attempt to escape a group of raiders. When one of them attacks Joel, Joel kills him, but is stabbed during the struggle. Joel and Ellie escape, but Joel soon collapses and falls off their horse, leaving Ellie unsure how to proceed.
2: Uh, Yeah, this is exactly how it happens in the game, too. Basically, Uh, uh, they show up to this place. They don't find anything. And then some people show up and kind of ambush them. Um, These people may or may not come back in a future episode and have a large role on the story. Uh, But uh, yeah, that's basically what happens. And um, Brandon, you've you've never played the game, right? You assume Joel's coming back, right?
3: I do not think Joel's dead because they renewed it for a second season. And also, you know, come on. I've been around the the Hollywood block. Yeah, I've seen this story. A lot of people
2: ask me if he's dead. I'm like, you know, they got three more
3: episodes. Yeah, he ain't dead. I think Bella Ramsey has a very Elizabeth Moss-esque career ahead of her. Someone who's just mm. killing it in these character specific roles and leading roles and is just going to be a force to be reckoned with from a talent standpoint. Uh yeah, just you know, I, I as soon as they went and and they saw like there's no guards or anything I'm like, okay, something bad's about to happen mm. and it's going to set them on a tr- new trajectory. That that was very clear. I still think they do it effectively. Uh, man, I'm afraid of riding horses. Personally, I I, I wouldn't be good in the apocalypse because I don't like horses in the normal world where it's, you know, still relatively safe and with like a horse trainer. Sure. Like, you know, I rode a horse twice in my life and I don't think I'll ever do it again.
2: Oh, the, the one thing I will say about one of the big changes they made is in the game, Joel falls from like the second story of the of that building and lands on a piece of metal that impales him. <sighs> he should be dead, like <laughs> straight up, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense how he survives all of this. So, and I don't necessarily think what they did here was as satisfying either. Like the baseball bat breaks and stabs him. I'm like, I don't know, but right. whatever he, he's, they set up well enough that he's, you know, off his game here. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad they took it down a notch because I'm like, he should be fucking way dead. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, I, but I like that they've now set up Ellie. She she has to save Joel based on what he has taught her. Yeah. So it's this full circle father daughter dynamic moment that is like, okay, sink or swim, kid. You know, I, I've given you what I what I can, and obviously she is going to to save him in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And it's just going to bring them closer.
2: Yeah. In the in the game. I won't say much about what actually happens, but um, from this section on, you play as Ellie for a short time, which is cool. a huge transition. They don't yeah. advertise it. You're Joel the entire game, and then it's like, oh no, what happens? You you then cut to Ellie. She's like kind of trying to survive on her own, trying to figure it out and and see what she can do. Which well, is it looks
1: like that, that. it looks like that perspective shift is going to take hold for the entirety of next week because I think that they're going to pull a very common late season TV show move, where they sort of depart from the main storyline for a week. So I think next week looks like a flashback of how Ellie got bit. Yeah. So I don't think that this Joel stabbing is going to be resolved until episode eight. now. Sure. Like this week is going to be like her, like recounting our past, like a lot, like, find the strength within to help Joel or some shit, but it looked very much like we're going to get her backstory here and where the bike came from.
2: Yeah. So uh, there is a DLC for the last was called left behind, which came out about a year after the game release. And it is, it is this episode and it shows uh, it's like a prequel set. I think a couple of weeks before the last of Us before she meets Joel and shows her backstory. And so this is basically that whole, it's like an hour and a half long little chunk of gameplay that you get to do. Um, so it looks like they're going to adapt that pretty faithfully for this next episode.
3: That's cool. And I hope I doubt it, but I hope we get a little flashback of, of Joel too. Cause I would love to see him and Tommy doing some of these dark things that have been alluded to because when, when you've take the hero that we love and that we've totally come to support and been like, you're so close to opening up your heart again, buddy, you can do it. And you show like, Oh my God, this man did horrific things yes, in the name of survival, but still unambiguously immoral, I think that's just a great shade to paint on the character. And I don't expect how much they
1: talk far. about it, and, and, and how much they talk about it, it's like check off shady past yeah, at this point. Like, like, come on, you got to give us some, because he seems deeply regretful about it, and everyone around him who was there was just like, hey, Joel, we weren't kind of just being dicks. Like, we we're murdering people. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Which, Kate, is how similar is that to the game?
2: Uh, yeah, he, he acknowledges pretty upfront, like, yeah, I did some bad shit. And it's it's funny, like, so in the games, they never show any of that stuff. I don't know if they will in the show now that they kind of have the opportunity to play with, with framing and stuff. But I do remember that the second game was supposed to open with a section of Tommy and Joel up to their old shit, doing some heinous shit. And you've played the second game, right, Eric? Yes. Yeah. And that was going to be the catalyst for Abby's motivation in the game as got opposed it. to what it becomes, which is right. very different. So it was going to be like we did some fucked up shit and now it's coming back to bite us. Right. Um, but yes, it is it is acknowledged pretty heavily in the game. They they got up to some shit.
3: All right. Oh, B. Super excited. Okay. Great. <laughs> Cade. Final yep. thoughts. I'm
2: good. All
1: right. We are going to swing over now to my interview with O'Shea Jackson Jr. We're talking cocaine bear. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Den of Thieves, and more. Folks, today I am joined by O'Shea Jackson Jr., an actor you know from projects such as Straight Outta Compton, Den of Thieves, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and his new film, Cocaine Bear, which hits theaters on February 24th. Thank you so much for your time today, man.
0: Thank you for having me, man.
1: I'm curious what your reaction was when you're Agent calls you and says, "Yo, Shay, I've got this script about a five hundred pound bear that's on the gas. Like, what? Like, are are you like, you're fired, or are you like, you get a raise? How's that call work out?"
0: Man, I I damn near made the call myself because I'm I when when Elizabeth got the rights, I retweeted it and was like, "Yo, this movie's gonna be nuts." Elizabeth saw that and then hit my agent like, yo, does he want to be a part of it? I'm like, yeah, you have to do a movie like that. Y'all have to have that in the resume. It's uh, how could you not? How could you not want to at least be, you know, aware of what's going in the script? There's no way that you can see a movie like Cocaine Bear and not want to go immediately.
1: Was it as fun as it looked to shoot? Because y'all seem like you had a great time.
0: Yeah, it's fun. Um, It's it's even funner when you get to when you bond with your your castmates, Um, Mm -hmm. me, Alden, my man, Aaron Holiday, even the late Ray Liotta, we all got along so easily that, you know, you you love being able to be excited to go to work, you know, to to see somebody to to bounce off and, and work together to to blend styles, it, it's, it was a great time, man.
1: So you're someone who has done a Star Wars project. So this is not your first time dealing with CGI, but I'm curious what it's like to portray fear in the face of something that's not there, particularly something as absurd as a cocaine bear. So what, whatever sort of CGI tool they used, what were you picturing in your mind? Were you picturing the cocaine bear? Were you picturing something scarier?
0: Yeah, they had um, they had this big dude, Alan Henry, all black spandex on, uh, walking on four stilts uh, with Koki's uh, head on him. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it, you definitely can can visualize it a lot easier. And you know, you've never seen Alan before, but the idea of him in spandex will bring any man to scream. So, <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah. It, was, it was easy to get there. <laughs> Man,
1: that sounds like the MVP of the shoot right there. Yo, definitely. Um, Alan Bear. So speaking of the late, great Ray Leota, you also shared some scene with Isaiah Whitlock Jr., but those are two dudes who are known for their drama. So I'm curious what you picked up off of them in terms of balancing, whether it be in a film or a career at whole, comedy and drama.
0: Um, I'm, I'm really, you know, the best times when you get to be with... Legends like that are off camera, you know, the makeup trailer, um, sitting around on set and your, you know, your set chairs, uh, complaining about food, uh, like you know, just those type of things to kind of be with the person and not, you know, the myth, the legend. Hmm. It's uh, those are the things that you really appreciate. Those are the things that bond you together. Those are the things that when you see each other outside of the project that you point at each other because you remember, you man, we, Ireland. My oh boy, my you know, oh boy. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, those dudes are great. Isaiah was great. Um, you know, he's a junior, I'm a junior. We we got a kick out of that. Um, Ray Liotta, legend, great trash talker. And, uh, yeah, somebody who, I you know, I, I wish I could see at the after party. But you know, life has to go on, and I oh, feel like he left his mark and left us with a with a banger and a cocaine was, bear. Uh,
1: you know, I I I've got to ask now. When you say he's good at talking trash, are you thinking of something specific or
0: no? Just you know, he's he's got a sharp wit. You know, just like little just little things. It's not like you know he was a. Uh, it's not like a, a major thing it's just a, a smart ass yeah and yeah, you know yeah, I yeah. Pro- I love being a, a smart ass I'd rather be a smart ass than a dumb one so <laughs> it's just like you know it's just somebody with a quick wit is easy to improv with easy to bounce off of and uh, you get to have fun especially when you when you really get your feet wet
1: so Shay one of the things I, lo- I like about your career most is well hey I, I just think one of you, you're probably one of the most genuine celebrity twiddle twitter followers out there you know i the way that i see you tweet you sound like one of us just a fan whether it be about sports or your work so i imagine that 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 fandom in you popped up when you were on the set of obi-wan so i'm curious what was that first moment where you sort of had an out of body like holy shit i can't believe this is going down right now
0: um definitely just being there um, I remember being like half an hour early my first day. Um, just super, just excited, just ecstatic. Uh, couldn't believe where I was. Um, Deborah Chow, I will forever be grateful to that lady. She, you know, she chose me. I, I was on the set of Swagger when, and my agents were like, "Yo, uh, we need you to be available on Wednesday." I'm like, okay. I'm like, yeah, at 12 o'clock. You're having a meeting, we can't tell you what it is. And it was Deborah Chow, and I'm like, okay. And she's like, yeah, so as you know, we're doing the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, okay. And yeah, so, <laughs> it, you know, it follows him, you know, he's a Jedi, down on his, you know, on himself. He thinks he's killed his best friend, and you know, we're, we really want to explore him kind of getting back into the Jedi way, all right? And so like, yeah, you're gonna be a part of this thing called the path. And so I'm like, listening to this conversation and all I'm thinking is, you shouldn't be telling me all this stuff. I haven't signed an NDA or like anything like, you're letting out a lot out of bed. I'm the wrong one, I'm the yeah. wrong one. And, she, and I was like, so like, okay, um, do I, you want me to read some sides or like, how are we doing this audition? She's like, no, you, you, we want you, you got the part. Wow. And so like, I'm ecstatic, my first day, I'm ready to go. And I just remember walking on that set and when you see Ewan in his gear, it is like, there's no way you could tell me he don't have powers. Like, you know, I just wanted to just talk to him like all day about the stuff and just nerd out. And it's, uh, it is by far, the best job I ever had because it's something that little kid Shay wouldn't be able to believe we did.
1: Did Did you try to stick around on set on days that they would shoot like the big? Hell like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Bro, there was a man. I, if I wrapped at four and they wasn't done till 10, I'm right with crew. <laughs> I watched uh, Vader and Reva's fight. I'm not nowhere near that scene. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm kicking it with Hayden. I'm talking to Hayden. Like it's um, yeah, dude, it was a dream come true. And I, I so, didn't man. want it to end. And when I found out they only gave us six episodes, I got, bro, I almost tore that set to pieces. Damn. It's um, yeah, dude. Forever forever fine, grateful so I, every I've, time. I've
1: got I've got to start to wind down here. So I wanna swing over to Den of Thieves. One of yeah. my favorite crime films of the last five or so years, and the scene that I am most curious about is you when Gerard takes you like hostage and you are just beat to shit and Gerard yeah. is in his element fat and sweaty and smoking and drinking when when you think you're taking a beating as well. Yeah. <laughs> think back to that day of shooting. What
0: pops up in your mind? uh Gerard was scared to choke me. <laughs> Gerard was like, you know, in my mind, the way I look at that filming is You got, we got to get it right one time. You get it right one time and we get out of here. So like, if you look, when I grab his arm, I'm really pushing it up. I'm a pro wrestling fan, so I know how to sell. So like, bro, you get that up there. I'm pushing his arm up. I got split, spit flying. I kicked my shoes off. Like I did the whole nine, bro. I'm like, yo, let's get it. And I think the biggest compliment Gerard Butler ever gave me was uh, he said, dude, you're crazy. I was like, yeah, man, thanks.
1: (laughs) All right, bro, I've got to wrap here. Thank you so much. Appreciate
0: you. Of course, man. Thank you.
2: Cheers.
1: Alrighty, righty. Thank you to O'Shea Jackson Jr. for his time. This dude is just like a fan who is living the dream. You absolutely love to see it. Thank you to B for joining us this week. You could follow him at great underscore Catsby on Twitter and all the excellent work he does at Parrot Analytics. You could follow Cade at Cade underscore Under and all of his writing both about video games and The Last of Us over at comicbook.com. Follow me at Eric Italiano and the podcast at PostCredPod. Leave us a review. We need these fucking things. They're so important. That's <laughs> how we grow. Next week, um, where are we at? What, what day
2: is it? What year is it? Where am I? <laughs> time is Uh, a flat circle no wait creed 3 wouldn't be out until the week after
1: oh next week mandalorian season 3 premiere so we'll be chatting about that next week yep so that's gonna so that probably means that podcasts will come when they usually do wednesday nights or thursdays but that makes our lives much better because i hate when shows are on sunday it just fucks Mm -hmm. up the whole start of my week (laughs) <laughs> uh, all right, so we're talking about that. I also just—we've uh, got some John work, John work, John Wick interviews in the works comments, so stay tuned for that. All right, y'all. Talk to you next week.
0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.